Greetings, Princeps. You're listening to the God Engine Cast. This is episode 43, Titan Forge 3D Printing. In this episode, we are going to discuss 3D printing and its current applications within our hobby. We did a long-form conversation with hobbyist Rudolph, known as Broncofish to many. I'm also going to be doing a Legio in brief on Legio Critus, the Godbreakers. Okay, before we get on with the show, let's cover some quick bit of show news. Up front, I'm going to say the last two weeks for me have been rather unpleasant. Um, about ten days ago now, I was diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, I'm on the mend now, and uh, by the time this goes out to the general public, I'm probably better and out of quarantine. Um, but it's been a little bit of a struggle to do anything in the last two weeks um but throughout it i've been able to find moments to record this podcast my symptoms have been rather mild um mostly just headaches fatigue which is good um but if you notice a drop off in quality in this episode it's probably because of the virus um so let's just blame that and move on as always, um, if you wish to support this show, I have a Patreon and a Ko-Fi account. Links to both can be found in the show notes. The Patreon account is still rather new. Um, I'm still trying to get to grips with it and decide if I actually like using it. Um, I have one loyal fan who's gone on and started supporting me through Patreon, and if others want to join in, that'd be great. Um, I have a lot of ideas of what I want to do with it. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to lock any real content um, behind a paywall. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping I can find a way to generate enough revenue to be able to pay for some upgrades to my computer so I can start looking at doing some video content. Um, hopefully, by the end of the year, I'll have found other avenues to raise the money if I need to because I want to fix my computer anyway. But, um, yeah, the desire to get some decent how-to videos made are getting it's the thing i really want to do so we'll see what we can get done there and let's get on with the show before we get stuck into the titanicus content of the episode last week before i got sick with covid um i sat down with a member of my family who wanted to um jump on my podcast to tell all my listeners something. Uh, so here it is. Hello, my name's Eleanor, and I am a Girl Scout. I'm selling cookies, and if you live in the United States, you can buy some of these cookies. You can go in the link in the show notes. Thank you for helping me help my church. Goodbye. Thank you, Ellie. Um, just to repeat what she said, because sometimes getting a straight answer out of a six-year-old can be a little difficult. Eleanor is currently selling Girl Scout cookies. If you live in the United States and you're interested in buying some Girl Scout cookies this year, please check out the link in the show notes and buy them from her. Uh, money raised through the link helps her Girl Scout troop and the local community. So, yeah, be great. Thank you. 
Okay, all that meandering aside, let's get on to Titanicus content. So before we get on to the Titan Forge, let's talk about Legio Kratos. The rules for Legio Kratos can be found in the Titan Death Supplement, and they're a really interesting Titan Legion. Legio has a fearsome reputation, leaving behind wastelands of uh, guttered cities and piles of grinning skeletons, as it reads in the description in Titan Death. When total annihilation is your aim, you send in the Legio Kratos. For this reason, they often work alongside the Iron Warriors, who have a very similar method of warfare. It was their alliance with the Iron Warriors that had me looking at this Legio as a possibility of the one I was going to collect. But, for the reasons we're going to discuss in a moment, they're the Legio I didn't go with. Mechanically, this Legio is a little poor. Burying the lead... I'm burying the lead a little there, but uh, that's what it is. So let's go and, you know, talk about the rules, as I try and do in these Legio briefs. As per normal, there are four traits that uh, characterize the Legio. One is an actual Legio trait, there are two stratagems, and one piece of war gear. The primary Legio trait is called Doom of Worlds, and this is where the problems start. This trait that you get for spending two stratagem points allows you to take a Myrtodon mana pool with all Warlords, or with an additional Warlord, thus making the minimum requirements of the Myrtodon mana pool three Warlords. Which is really nice, but the mana pool itself's kind of middling to poor. And these days, there are other ways to take a three Warlord list. Um, and I'll come back to my other problems with it here in a minute. Next up, they have the specific stratagem Scorched Earth, which is a one-point stratagem, so it's nice and affordable. But you play it at any strategy phase, just the once, and for the remainder of that turn, you get plus two to the strength of any weapon when targeting terrain. Which is fun, if you're playing a game that allows you to destroy terrain. It's very situational, and uh, actually pretty time-restricted. It only gives you one turn to get that plus two. So that one turn you play it, you really need to destroy all the scenery you're planning on destroying. Second stratagem is called Iron Endures. It's a one-point stratagem. And basically you play it, and for the duration of that turn, you downgrade the amount of damage you take from dangerous terrain. Which is really fun when it's on the table, and it's, you know, if you're a Kratos player, you want to be getting lots of dangerous terrain on the table to make use of this. Again, it's a pretty cool strategy and pretty thematic. I like it. Next up is the Earthbreaker missiles, which are an upgrade to the Apocalypse missile launchers. Basically, uh, for 20 points for a Warlord or 10 points for a Reaver, you can gain a missile launch with the option of instead, or you get to pick either turn, of shooting with a different profile that is Quake and plus 5 strength when resolving damage against terrain. Though it does limit the number of shots to 1 per launcher, so... Uh, Reaver only gets one shot, and Warlord gets two shots. It's a pretty cool little weapon. I mean, being able to just fire a Quake missile at someone, I mean, strength four hit, but doing Quake will mess up someone's day. So actually, this has a bit of play in the game, I think. Personal traits, they have three, and they're all pretty good. There's one called Godlike Contempt, uh, which basically means if a someone fails their, their command check, uh, it doesn't end your Command phase, you can still carry on taking tests, providing the unit that failed the check is of a smaller scale than your princeps. So if your princeps isn't a warlord, providing it wasn't another warlord that failed, you're going to be able to keep on making command checks on your princeps. The second one's called Worldbane, that means that any terrain that's destroyed by your princeps is going to become dangerous terrain, which is good fun. 
And finally, um, they have one called Path of Iron that means you can basically hit scale three units, so Christorus Knights, as you walk by them. You just get a free smash attack when you move past them, which is rather fun. They're the rules in general, but I... Instead of talking about what I would use these Legios for, I actually want to talk about how I would improve this Legio. I actually find Legio Kratos to be slightly disappointing. I mean, I've just shot through the, rule, the rules there, and I think most people will be able to understand what the problems are. The two stratagems are incredibly situational. They really require you to interact with train a lot, which you're going to do with Legio Kratos, but at the same time you are running, you know, Warlord's heavy lists is what it wants you to do. So the amount of interaction is going to be fairly minimal. Yeah. The Legio Trade Doomer Worlds is incredibly narrow. It basically allows you to take an additional Warlord on a already Warlord heavy mana pool. That's probably not the Warlord heavy mana pool you'd be going with if you wanted to maximize your rules. Um, I really think it's, it's the biggest letdown on the let. It starts the process of problems. If you don't start using that that trait, then, you know, the other two stratagems come into play, and suddenly the only thing you're actually using is the Earthbreaker Missiles. And the Earthbreaker Missiles are good if you're taking Legio Kratos, you take the Apocalypse Missile Launchers, you can pack that Quake. For 10 points, being able to pack a Quake on a Reaver is really good fun. I mean, yeah. Um, and the actual personal traits are all good, which is a can be a bit of a rarity with um, Legios, but they are. I mean, I wouldn't I don't dislike any of them. I mean, maybe Worldbane involves you having destroyed terrain, but that's the theme of this Legio, so you're going to go in that direction. I think this Legio could do with a rewrite, and I hope, <laughs> I really hope that when we start seeing the new Titan Legio books, the Loyalist Legios and then the Traitor Legio books, that they will rewrite some Legios, and I hope Legio Critus is one of the ones that gets rewritten. What I'd really like to see is, first of all, I'd really like to see the skirt earth stratagem stopping being a stratagem it just needs to be a legio trait if legio kratos players always every single turn got a straight up plus two strength when targeting uh pieces of terrain this legio would have some teeth they really would be the doomer worlds because it didn't matter what turn it was you could be taking pot shots at buildings when you've got an opportunity to and have a much better chance of bringing them down than anyone else and i think that would really sort of play into the flavor of the legio secondly the doomer worlds they the thematics, they're trying to go for you taking these big, heavy Warlord Titans more regularly than any other Titan. But they're also, they are trying to limit you to make sure you aren't just going to be throwing a Warlord in light maniples. So when they wrote this book, the only really heavy maniple out there was the Merch Drum. So I get what they were doing. Well, what I would, in an ideal way, what you need to do is rewrite the Doom of Worlds rules. Instead of being, you take a... Warlord in place of a Reaver Titan in the Mervadon Manipal. You can do it in any Manipal that already contains a Warlord. For example, an Axiom Manipal could swap out one of the Reaver's traditional Warlord. You couldn't put a Warlord into a Venator, because a Venator, although it has a Reaver to swap out, doesn't have a Warlord in it already. You couldn't take a Manipal with a Warlord and Warhounds and put another Warlord in, because there isn't the Reaver to swap out. It basically means the maniples that are already slightly heavy get to be heavier when Legio Kratos take it, but Legio Kratos cannot take a light maniple and turn it into a vehicle to bring a warlord along. I think that was a fairly easy balance. It wouldn't break the game, and it's just about flexible enough to work. And it's unique. Um, 
I'm almost tempted to put that in the FAQ of future updates for myself, just give Legion of Crytus players an opportunity to do something fun. And I think if you do that, and you give them the ability to sort of train a little easier, suddenly things start becoming a lot more interesting. Neither of those changes would make them superior to, you know, any other Legio. In fact, they'd still be on the sort of lower end of the power curve, but they'd be a lot more flavorful. And it wouldn't matter what you were doing as a princeps, you would always probably come up with a list that would felt like Legio Critus. I think it's far too easy at the moment to come up with a Legio Critus list where you aren't going to use any of their rules. Because if you don't go for the Mervidon Manipole and you don't target all your Titans to destroy terrain on that one turn you spend that uh, strategy point, you've lost out their flavour. By making the Scorched Earth no longer a stratagem, it's just something that always applies. It means you always get the opportunity during the game to get that, to take that moment to get, embrace that little bit of a bonus. And changing the Power Doom Worlds works means you're going to be able to take that extra Warlord Titan and bring the flavour of the Legio to the table. And I think that'll be worth giving your opponent the two stratagem points, which is inevitably the process by you taking a Legio. Yeah. If you're playing Legio Critus now, you have my respect. I love the colour schemes. I actually really enjoy the idea of the Legio. But honestly, if I was to play them at the moment, I'd probably put something together with a custom Legio. Which is a rather sad thing to say, but you can come up with a couple of things out there that really get the same feel. You take the Dark Reputation traits, you take the Engines of War trait, you give them the Directive Rad Burst stratagem as it feels very Create the Wasteland-ish, and then perhaps Fusion Missiles for the same flavour as the Quake Missile, it's not going to be quite the same, but it gives you a bit more flavour, and you have something that looks very similar to the Legio Kratos, at least in flavour. You get these big Titans, lots of Warlords, they have that sort of grim, planet-destroying apathet, and it's all there. And I just think it works better on the tabletop than their current set of rules, and that's a problem. If you are going to look to collect them and play them by the current rules, the options are very simple for you. You want to look at running three Warlords, you want to go for the Merpidarm, you want to run as many Quake Missiles as you can, and you want to look at that first turn to first fire with your entire collection and target destroying as many buildings and just break down the uh, battlefield into a flattest plane as you can manage to turn it into a planet bowling ball game. It's a pretty simple way to play them, but it's the way I would play with them. Um, a lot of long-range guns on your Warlords, backline, first turn, concentrate on taking out buildings, second turn, concentrate taking out the enemy titans. And there's that. Yeah, Legion of Kratos. Interesting. Throughout the history of the God Engine cast so far, I have focused almost exclusively on the gaming side of the hobby. The moving models around at the table, the rules interactions, the discussing what rules are better, and maybe touching upon the stories we tell. I haven't spent much time focusing on the painting or modelling sides of the hobby at all. This changes today. Starting a new series called Titan Forge. These particular segments will focus on the bits I've been missing. They will talk about painting, they will talk about hobbying in the sort of practical sense. Today, we're going to focus on 3D printing. The future episodes are going to look at more of the painting side of things, and they'll be coming in the next two episodes after this, running out a nice trilogy of episodes to really get stuck into hobbying in a time where, if we're being honest, none of us are going to be gaining that much gaming in. So, in this week's show, we're going to talk about 3D printing. And in that regard, I am joined today by Rudolf. 
Uh, Rudolph is known to many as Bronco Fish, the creator of the fantastic Lazy Princeps Guide. But he's also known to many as Grimdark Terrain, which is his Instagram handle for a wonderful Instagram account filled with images of 3D printed Titanica scenery. Um, recently, he has taken some of those SDL files and started a Patreon that you can join and get access to those files so you can make this very scenery for yourself. And when Rudolph approached me about coming on the show to talk about his Grimdark Terrain project, I thought this was the perfect idea to sit down and start exploring what 3D printing is. Now, I know many of you listening to this podcast probably have played with 3D printers before. You probably own 3D printers, but I haven't. And I know also there is much of my audience that also hasn't. The whole idea of 3D printing is still a little bit arcane. It's a little bit mysterious, a little bit dangerous, perhaps. And I wanted to explore these ideas, and that's what we'll get into now. So let me uh, welcome Rudolph to the show, and uh, I hope you all enjoy the conversation. When it's all over, I'm going to sit down and have some closing thoughts. Thank you for joining today, Rudolph. Um, before we get into the topic of talking about 3D printing and all that jazz, um, let's start with a standard conversation of when do you get into Titanicus and other wargaming stuff? Hi, Martin. Thank you for having me. Um, actually, the the wargaming stuff started for me when I was about 9, 10 years of age. Uh, back then with Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, back then it was High Elves versus Night Goblins. Um, we had these cardboards griffins uh in the box and and that's when it all started um however when uh i mean that's like 25 years ago and, and be, between that and oh it's even more it's almost 30 sorry um so the between that and titanicus there's a couple of decades um but as soon as as soon as titanicus was announced i was absolutely in i was sold my wallet was ready and uh, as soon as it came out i i ordered actually a couple of grandmaster boxes um because that was the only way you could get the terrain back then and uh then i started painting my legio mortis and so august 2018 i think is when i had my hands on the first titanicus models you didn't play any of the previous 80 you're purely new 80 um well, I saw it on the shelves, uh, but Germany being Germany back then, um, there was me not being able to speak English, and there was only English versions of the game. So I saw all this, like Epic and Space Marine and everything, and that was a little bit more complicated than Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and... Um, I gave it a try back then, and then also the, the community was non-existent, basically. Mm -hmm. So I owned a couple of Epic models. Like um, They had a weird face when they did these, these blocky Elder designs. I don't know if you remember these. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they were horrible, and, and uh, I had a couple of them. Um, uh, but I sold them all on eBay a couple of years ago, long before Titanicus was announced. So those Titans were my real, actual first plastic Titans. Yeah. Okay. On a tangent, because I've been meaning to ask, do you get German versions of the Titanicus game at the moment, or is it purely an English publication? Yes, we do. Um, okay. The range of quality in the German translations, at least, is it's pretty wide. So back then, uh, for Titanicus, that 
they they weren't doing themselves a favor with that translation service because the translation was actually so bad that they and I've never seen GW do this before. They they reimbursed all the books free of charge, so they replaced them. They just sent you <laughs> you, you basically you, you had to write to them. Hey, I, I ordered this in German, and they were like, "Yeah, speak no further. We send you an English copy free of charge." Sorry, <laughs> so it was that bad. Um, but all the regular stuff, uh, like I don't know, like the the regular forty k stuff and so on, that that's all translated. We even get Black Library books translated nowadays. Um, but specialist games, I think, is exclusively in English nowadays. Okay, so go swing back to actual your collections. Uh, what legios do you collect? Um, I have quite a few uh, Mortis Titans. Um, because I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to have a couple of bad guys, and uh, also they they're quite rewarding when you have an airbrush and everything. Um, then I have about three thousand points of House Malinax as a night household. Um, yeah, painted painted them up last year um, in during the pandemic. I was one of these weird projects when you th- say like I have so many nights, I now paint a nice household, and then you don't do anything apart from painting for two weeks, and then you accidentally painted three thousand points worth of nights. Um, and recently, I started a uh, a Legio Presagius force because with all the Malinax and and Mortis being like all darkish and grimy and and not too well ma- maintained, uh, I wanted to paint something crisp and clean and super neat. And um, yeah, white and blue is a proper color for that. Yeah, no, I love Legio Presagius. Mm, they fantastic color scheme. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Um, I like. House Malanax as well. Um, so I've got to ask: Have you actually played Malanax on the field yet, or is it a just purely painted army at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, without getting too much into the whole misery of of yeah. living in a pandemic, um, we had a brief time in uh, summer 2020 uh, when we actually could meet and and was allowed to meet with more than like two people. Um, we had a small event uh, at my place. Um, there were six players, um, all of like my my close hobby mates, and they all showed up. All showed up with like fully painted legions and fully painted tables and everything. And I was playing them uh, on this occasion. Actually, I played a couple of games. I, I don't know, like I think four games with uh, House Malenax so far. Yeah, I really like knights. I mean, I know there's a lot of grinding of teeth about how good knights are in Titanicus at the moment, but yeah, they they are not bad. <laughs> I mean, no. to be honest, that was my my first games running a, a full knight household, and I was pretty surprised how how much damage like four lancers can do to a reaver or even a warlord. So that was pretty surprising for both me me and the other players because the, the other players they they didn't play any games against now night households yet um however one one, one player was actually he was kind of a dick but he's my neighbor he's i'm absolutely cool with that but he had i think two stratagems that were horrible for knights like these striving runs where you where you get like low strength hits all the time. Like every round you get these hits and you just have to it's it's slowly gnawing away your knights. And the other one I don't remember, but it was also super obstructive and <laughs> it was really annoying to play against. Um also he had a couple of quake cannons and <laughs> they they uh yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I need to comment on this. We are on the Titanicus podcast. <laughs> 
So other than Titanicus, are you currently playing any other um, Games Workshop games? Um, yeah, I've been playing with my neighbor. I've been playing a lot of Aeronautica uh, because I very much enjoy the scale. Um, and it's quick and easy games. Um, so you can you can easily fit like three, four, five games in an evening. And that's, that's fantastic. Um, and then uh, I do have a lot of Necromunda stuff, but I've, I haven't gotten around painting it all. Um, and then, of course, I have a lot of heresy stuff. Doing it from the very first day, uh, the heresy hit. And, um, yeah, I've got plenty of armies there. Cool. Okay. Well, you're here today, really, to talk about 3D printing. It's a subject that I'm aware of. I have, I've never really played with it myself. But it's becoming quite a cornerstone of the Titanicus hobby groups. And you've recently started a... Well, how do you describe a Grimdark Terrain? Well, at the moment, most fitting would be it's a Patreon, <laughs> okay. because that that's the uh, that's the platform I'm I'm using. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I started releasing these um, now that we are recording a couple of days ago, actually. So it's uh, less than a week ago, mm-hmm. and um, but I started the the, the project ex- itself. I started about two years ago. Um, and the thing about this is it, it's all about terrain and it's all about ter- uh, terrain for eight mil scale um, or six mil scale, however you prefer to call it. Mm-hmm. Let's call it Titanic scale. Um, so it's all about terrain um, and it's all about the stuff we don't have. So okay. that that's, that's the main concept, basically. So um, yes, it's all 3D printable. Um, so a lot of people will say, yeah, but I don't have a printer, so this is not in- interesting for me. But mm-hmm. wait, <laughs> bear with me. Um, there's an, a growing number of uh, merchants um, that will actually offer a printed terrain and, and just sell it to you as actual physical items. So there's a couple of them in the US already, mm-hmm. uh, um, I think two in the UK and um, a few in different countries. So uh, hopefully when this comes out, I'll have a list of, of um, redistributors and, and merchants on the Patreon page. So people interested in it um, have a place where they can purchase without having a printer. Okay, let's take a step back in a way and talk about 3D printing itself. And I'm going to describe what I know about it and you can kind of correct me because I think... I wouldn't like to guess what percentage of my audience has played with a 3D printer before, um, but it's significantly less than the amount who play Titanicus. Essentially, the 3D printer you prints files that you've designed on a computer. So basically, if you if you look at it from ten years ago, yeah, it's it's magic. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, imagine imagine anyone in the community like ten years ago telling you, "Hey, Martin, think about it. There, there's a machine in my basement, and it's it's like." 500 quid and i have these files and i press a button and then i have to wait for like four hours and then i have that thing and and it's there and i can print like plasma pistols and uh i don't know alternative heads or helmets or anything and and that's basically um how much it progressed in the past 10 years um i remember having the first uh first 3d print um about 10 years ago, uh, when a friend visited me, and he's a physicist, and they had this incredibly expensive machine in their, in their institute, and that was like, like 80,000 euros ex- worth of a machine. And it did 
they had i don't know where they got the model from but but back then they had uh w- one of these little towel flyers okay and it looked it looked horrible it was <laughs> it was <laughs> it was really it was so bad mm-hmm. And and I remember telling him like nah I don't see that nah nah this is this is just too bad I mean look at it and then, <laughs> when you paint it it even even gets worse and and now we are in a time when people can actually purchase machines for like two hundred like entry level machines for two hundred dollars U S dollars and they produce decent enough quality you you can you can print the parts you need you can print extra weapons or all these mm, very rare equipments that you might want to put on your models so this is this is really it's it's come a long way and it's it's come that way very very quickly okay um i think i've sort of clarified the big question i was going to try and get to how does the actual editing process because obviously you got your printer and it will spawn the models as soon as you get it all set up right but obviously, a lot of the creative aspect of the 3D printing hobby is done on the computer. Right. Um, what's the software package like that's on that side of things? Oh, uh, how, how much time do you have? <laughs> that's, that's, uh, oh, that's a very, very open question. And, and it's, it's even, I mean, but, but it's, it's important to discuss because people, people will ask like, okay, how do I play around? How can I build stuff? And there is so many different editors or, or creators software thingies. Um, and most of them have so many functions that they overwhelm people. So maybe it's best if I share how I started. Um, I came, I came across this editor called Tinkercad and it's, uh, it's free. It's online. You don't need to install anything. You don't need to have a super fancy computer or, or like powerful graphic cards or anything. It's you just go to tinkercat.com, sign up, that's it. And this one works a bit differently from other editors. So you can do less things, but you can do pretty decent things. When you wrap your head around when you when you can imagine something and build it with Lego, you can imagine something and build it with Tinker, uh, Tinkercad. So th- that's that's the good thing about it. And um, it lets you build these. It lets you export these. And um, then you would need a, a second software to um, support the model. And then you actually download it on your printer, press a button, and it's there. That, that's how it works. Basically, there, there's two types of printing. You, you have the plastic printing, or called FDM printing, mm-hmm. um, where you have a spool of, let's call it plastic wire, and or you, the, the nozzle melts it and glues it and sticks it to to a build plate. Um, yeah, yeah. That doesn't stink. Um, it's fairly clean. You don't have to handle any toxic materials and so on. So th- this is pretty good. However, that doesn't that doesn't produce items that you would want to have on a titanicus level because everything is super tiny so you you wouldn't be able to print let's say eight mil space marines with this however when you have big terrain projects for like all these people like printing blood bowl fields uh, blood bowl pitches this is mostly fdm printing okay it's that's that's the one that can lead to a lot of like quite pronounced little grooves on the model right Right, right. Okay, yeah. Um, also, these machines they they are getting significantly better year by year. Um, but you can still you can still see that 
this is an FDM print. Um, the other printing uh, technology, uh, basically, there's also a third one, but I won't go into it because it's simply too expensive for a hobbyist. We're, we're looking at $3,000 machines there. Um, that's the lowest level. <laughs> and, um, so the, the second one interesting for, for hobby stuff is the resin printing. And uh, resin printing is a bit more complicated. Um, there's a lot of people being very wary with it because it, it has a reputation of being super gooey and complicated and toxic and everything. And all of this is true. <laughs> so so the, um, basically, resin printing works entirely different. You print upside down and you basically you, you cure a slice of that thing onto a building plate with... UV reactive resin. So you basically you have a UV display on the bottom of of a tank, and that tank has a transparent bottom. And then you print, or you 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 mm, you can think about it when when you ever etched a semiconductor or something. It, it's pretty much the same process. So so it's like this. So you block out light, and and wherever the light hits, the resin cures, and then you have a short a short break. And then the next layer is printed on it. And while you do so, while the machine does so, um, the the build plate retracts and moves upwards. And then step by step, like super, super tiny steps, that model is created. And because you, you cannot print into thin air, you need to support the model. And that's the, the, the main difference between the FDM models and the resin models. Because um, you need to have the supports for the model because otherwise the the print will fail and and you just have a you know like a weird blob of resin on yeah. your build plate. So that that's the main difference. Um so when you're looking for files uh and you have a resin printer you want to look for pre-supported files. So you have the file and once it's pre-supported it's actually quite simple to get it printed because then all you need to do is put it into the software that comes with your printer, slice wait for a couple of seconds and then upload that file to the printer and then it does its magic so that that's the main process yeah so the supports are basically like a sprue yeah exactly that's whereas sprues are more or less like 2d supports are like in the third dimension as well. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah well okay so i mean that's sort of the basis so, 3D printing itself is the technique to turn these files into models. But the actual creativity all occurs in these files, whether you're doing it yourself or you're acquiring it from someone else, which is what you're basically providing through Grim Dark Terrain. Um, I'm providing monthly packages of terrain. Um, so this month in January uh, is a, a, a city wall set or a fortress wall set. And the idea is that it's all modular. So um, the files hit the, the Patreon a couple of days ago. People have been printing. And that, one of the great things about having community being with you on that journey is that they came up with assembling it in ways that I didn't even think of. <laughs> and and that, that's such a great thing in, in, in this hobby. So they, they get a package every month. And uh, in that package, there's a kit of different things. So... Uh, this month is the fortress walls. Next month is a lot of guns, gun upgrades, uh, different connector pieces uh, between uh, the walls and the existing kit so you can integrate it. Um, some upgrades for building guns into the GW plastic kit. 
So, for example, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, imagine a building front, and you have a lot of windows nowadays. But I mean, it's still Warhammer, right? So you need to have guns on your buildings. Um, and sadly, uh, there are no plastic guns. So I came up with a couple of ideas on how to add guns, um, all sorts of sizes, like top guns, roof guns, uh, retractable guns, point defense guns, and so on. So, so that's the next month. Um, also, there will be some additional parts for the fortress walls. Um, because I already received a lot of feedback and uh, I'm thinking about a way to make it even more gigantic and higher, actually, because um, some people wanted to hide a warlord behind it. And when I did, when I designed it, I was like, yeah, reverse enough. <laughs> and then these madmen, they were requiring a height of like 12, 13 centimeters. So, okay, let's do this. And most most important uh, gates. That's gonna be in uh, in uh, February, and in March. So, so that that's the roadmap for the first quarter. And in March, we uh, we're gonna look at um, all sorts of different bunkers and bunker connectors and walkways between bunkers and bunkers bunker connector walkways that integrate with the city walls. And yeah, so the. the 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 main thing I'm I'm exploring is um, I'm a huge fan of word building and and narrative gaming mm -hmm. and and um, the current models or the the current kits for terrain of Titanicus they're great kits but they're missing a lot of things and this is actually how it all started because I wanted okay. to have some you know like balconies or something mm -hmm. for on the to put on the buildings on the top um, be it roofs or be it beat certain gas tanks and stuff like this and so that's how i got into it that's how i started all of it then i thought yeah spamming these on my regular instagram account is maybe not <laughs> so in interesting for all the other yeah. guys so i made this um this separate account and i called it grimdark terrain and that account is around for like i don't know two and a half years now and uh, people have taken an interest and there was a slow slow group of people following me and commenting me and and then persistently harassing me into releasing the files and <laughs> that's yeah that that's the story basically behind it so the these kits interact with the i can't remember the name of them the Titanicus um, plastic building kits, then? Yes, the Civitas Imperialis, uh, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, <laughs> that's the name. And um, they interact, yes. Uh, there is, on my Facebook page, there's a small video where I show how much they interact. Okay. The city walls, however, they they don't really interact because I mean, they're walls and makes no sense in like having walls with windows, right? So um, those don't. But for example, uh, when we when we go into the bunkers, you will have connector pieces for connecting the bunker to the houses. That's nice. Okay. And there's much more to come, actually, um, because uh, uh, first of all, I'm doing this for two years, so I have a very deep drawer of stuff uh, on my computer. So uh, there's a lot of stuff ready already, but I don't want to teaser too much. Um, and then I have a big wishlisting document um, from all the Patreons. And 
<laughs> and there's a lot of stuff on the list already. So, so um, yeah. How long did it take you to um, design one of these files? Super difficult question because sometimes, sometimes you, when you feel inspired, it can be a matter of two hours. And sometimes you, you're playing around like all Sunday afternoon and doesn't really go anywhere. So it's a very creative process. Um, but with with time, I came up with. I, I, I mean, that might sound like super German now, but I made a sheet for this and I tried to standard, standardize the development process. So I prepared um, sheets where I can scribble uh, with with an actual pen because the, the first designs and first ideas, they, they come to life during phone calls or video sessions or anything. So when I'm, when I'm sitting there talking to people or listening to people or listening to... I don't know speeches or something, and I scribble and draw around on my uh, on my papers. And so I, I designed these sheets where I have all the, the the main measurements, like this is like half, this is quarter sections, third sections, and so on. And I paint them on there, and then later on I I built them in 3D. So that that's the main process actually. And um, this goes for everything. This goes for bridges, stairs, cargo lifts, uh, airfields you name it so there, there's a lot of stuff already but most of it um or almost every design started on paper and then sometimes i abandon it and then i maybe revisit it after a couple of months and i print it i have it interact with other people um some of the designs for example the bunkers already um they the bunkers i have them already on a table that i built so okay they they exist already i painted them up and so on and that that's something that i still need to show to everyone um because I'm a hobbyist myself, I play this mm -hmm. this game almost yeah. religiously, and and they, um, so I, I try to make stuff that I find cool, and then hopefully others find it cool as well, and and will integrate it into their tables and and whatnot. Yeah, it's all real fantastic stuff. I love the fortress. Um, it's one of those scenery kits that Games Workshop left a real big need for because they talk about fortifications in several of the narrative missions. It's iconic in all the big battles it's just yeah yeah i mean in every single book they released there is siege warfare <laughs> so that um but then again it was actually quite difficult to to come up with a design that looks grimdark enough but it's not a ripoff of the 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 old fort world uh design um because that that's something i wouldn't like to do actually to just copy and then sell a copy because that's i don't know i i think in in the long run this this hurts the hobby um because people doing all the design work and doing all the creative process for you and then you just do a very mundane task of digitalizing that design that's not exactly something i would like to do yes i mean i think that's that sort of leads us to the sort of big concern around 3D hobbying, sort of the sort of other side of the topic. Um, obviously, it's just the nature of the beast. It's very easy to take someone else's work. And obviously, theoretically, you could take just Games Workshop's models and print them. Is it particularly easy to dig digitize models that Games Workshop have produced? Is it just simply scanning the model? Or do you, do you have to go in there and handcraft it again? Mm, scans, at least from what I've seen, they, they are not very good. So the the scan scanning a model doesn't get you anywhere. So th there's no magic machine where you could I don't know put a Titan in it, hit a button, 
and then you have a digital a digital titan so that that's now not how it works so so every every copy you see online is actually the product of a lot of work of of someone very talented um and so, so you, you need to know what you're doing so it's not as much as a craft as like just china casting fortress stuff so you you can ex- basically have everyone anyone do it as long as as he or she uh, uh, knows the traits of the craft right but when you when you're rebuilding let's say primaries intercessors uh, you need to know what you're doing you need to have a very good feel for proportions and everything and there's so many talented 3d modelers out there and they they put out these these super super fantastic um things but to me it's a bit weird to see a model announced on the on on the warhammer community like Mm -hmm. like some some space marine dude primaris i don't know how they are called yeah and and then like like three days later you see that actual model as an stl on on one of the many platforms and and then a couple of more days later you see people actually having these and Mm -hmm. the actual actual model that Fort World designed and made and produced and so on isn't out for like three three additional weeks. So that that's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, and I've seen these models being sold, and that's that's where I would draw the line. Actually, um, it's it's one thing to to do it and share it with your friends and and hobby mates and everything. But having these designs and just plainly copying. And then making a business out of it is no better than China cast. The actual process of 3D printing something isn't inherently a problem. Uh, I know a lot of people in variety communities get a little, you know, oh, if it's not a real Games Workshop model, it's not a real model. Well, Games Workshop have given us green stuff, and green stuff models have been a staple of Games Workshop. Even their own personal hobbies on their media, how they present us the game, should be played. Take that sort of angle. They'll create green stuff parts all the time. Um, 3D printing is just another avenue of that. I, I I myself get very, very worried when I start seeing people producing models that look just like a product I can go and buy from Games Workshop. I think that has crossed that line. I mean, in the end, you, you need to fit the aesthetics of, of the whole universe, the whole Warhammer universe. It has a very distinct thing. Um, and and this is, there's a couple of super talented designers who, who, who hit that aesthetics like they're spot on without being infringy, and that that's like the highest form of art to to understand uh, to understand like how something imperial should look like, like let's say an, an imperial knight or something, and then you come up with an entirely new knight class and you build this, and it it looks as if it's from Fortwell, but it's actually not. It just has these certain elements, and I mean you cannot patent rivets and certain shapes and so on right so but it's it's like it's it's in the aesthetics but it doesn't infringe and that that's that's perfect that that's a huge addition to the hobby in my opinion um but when you just have someone rebuilding an imperial knight and then you can purchase it for 30 dollars and print it yourself i mean in the end when you think about misprints having the printer and so on the model might be similarly priced to getting an actual plastic model. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I I do understand the the, the geeky uh, excitement of of you know like like I printed my own night and and that's perfectly fine. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely not judging. It's just that that personally, um, 
when people do these and when people sell these, they they should go for their own original designs. That that's all I'm saying. No, I think that's about right. Obviously, three D printing itself has got a very. You go to the Facebook communities and it's very divisive. People are just always against it in some ways in certain communities. Um, but there is plenty of space to be artistic and not too, you know, ethically uh, steal from Games Workshop. You are adding to the hobby. Yes, and and that's it. It's a very thin line that that people walk with both the designs and also the attitude. And in in many regards, this whole 3D thing feels a bit... I mean, we are old enough to, to remember this, but it feels a bit like the internet in the early days when you had Napster and everything when when suddenly nobody would buy CDs anymore like and and like the the geeky guys that have internet already they would like frown upon people like what you still <laughs> you still buy CDs and cassette tapes you know you can download it from the internet <laughs> and sounds so i see a similar attitude with some of the guys having 3d printers because they go like like why would you buy a model from Games Workshop? I'm printing all of it. Yeah, that's. I mean, I I understand where they are coming from, but this is maybe a bit short sighted because when nobody buys the models anymore, we we don't have we don't have any any community or games or something, right? You don't buy CDs. You don't have bands. Eventually, the eventually the industry will catch up with us. We've just got to be patient with it. And also, I, I also think in regards of this. Uh, current intellectual property law needs to move on as well, um, because I don't think the current laws on the books of several countries, America especially, isn't helpful for this. No. Um, but in the end, it will all come down to a new business model. I mean, back, I don't know, like 15 years ago, everyone was saying like, yeah, the music industry is dead. There's no there's no way they're going to survive the internet. And and what happened now? Musicians interact differently with their audience. You have things like Spotify and, and iTunes and everything, like like offering flat rate products to consume. But in the end, you, you have the choice of from all these music genres, but in the end, you still listen to the same 20 CDs, right? <laughs> so, and, and maybe... Maybe this is how the future for the hobby looks, that you maybe have the Spotify of miniatures where you have certain certain DRM files and it's connected to your printer and you can only print the files that you own, something like that. And if if I were GW, I would reach out, if they are not doing it already, but <laughs> I would reach out to to one of these printer manufacturers or maybe even to all of them and have like GW branded STCs that you can put in your basements and then you can download like spare parts or something. I mean, they, they don't have to overthrow their whole business model, but um, I really think there's a big opportunity for, for, for manufacturers um, to run special editions, to run certain things that maybe even have subscription models where you get all the all the weird weapons of the underhive or something like you name it and whatever you can think of you can realize with this without having to bother with how much do i need to produce so that it gets profitable and and i need to sell like 50,000 goliath gangs in order to have this this uh, uh, mold done so you don't have to to worry about these and and as a matter of fact you can maybe even get people to spend more money on the hobby because they need to get all the machinery yeah, yeah they could and they can they could start pretty small because they've got plenty of model well you 
you start with the models that are out of production because one of their biggest, I mean, I sort of hint minute, biggest games which concerns is their the fact as soon as they stop producing a model, they have a lot. There's a chance they could lose the intellectual property for that model because the way American law works, and that's where the court cases always seem to be fought. But if they're putting them out, you know, these are our files. Is how you just uh, just make them according to our style. It gives them a, something to grip onto and say, no, this is still ours. Um, yeah, think about it. I mean, um, or even I mean, I mean, there's there's so many. So many opportunities there. I mean, the, the the old Hammer community, for example, or the, the whole More Time community, they don't get anything from Games Workshop for what twenty years or something. So, and still, it's a very active and very alive community, and they still play. They have gaming boards and so on. So now, think about a way how to how you could cater to their needs without having to support one of the main systems, but you can still make them happy. So that that would be that would be a great thing. And there is, I mean, we, we all have these niche characters that, like, let, let's take the heresy. Um, Saul Tarvitz, he was, he was on Istvan 3, and he now got the model for, what, what 10 years after? <laughs> 10 years? So, so this is like, okay, everybody moved on with, with their heresy in the timeline, and, and now suddenly, suddenly there is there's a model of a dude that died in the very first hours of the heresy. <laughs> So I mean it's it's clear that it won't be a super popular model but if you had a mix of the traditional analog wargaming and maybe have some sort of subscription or digital DRM model of of doing it you could put this guy out and of course only the the emperor's children players will buy him but they're happy then and so you have so many talented designers you have so many talented guys in Nottingham that design stuff um that could be a good thing of of getting like low volume characters out and give armies more flavor think about shields for all the different factions and in age of sigma and all that i mean it's 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 about the small customizable bits that that you need yeah and it's always it's been the biggest concern people have had with the games workshop in the last you know I'd say 20 years when they got rid of the individual bit selling i mean that used that used to be the greatest thing they used to do i mean and then a, a new business a new business model emerged there's all these bits trading sites and i mean now we're in the wild west of 3d printing and everything is free and everything is everywhere but um past couple of years it progressed already. I mean, you have so many super talented Patreons um, that have thousands of followers and and they produce reliable and consistently great quality of models and, and they are original and they really add to the flavor. And I don't know how many people purchasing these STLs are actually printing them That because sometimes I feel like there's so much stuff out there and who's going to print all of this? Um, but it gives super niche projects, like for example, my grim dark terrain stuff. I mean, that that this is a niche thing for a niche system, and, but still, um, people are interested in it, and um, that that's the great thing about three D printing. Yeah, I I really like the Patreon model for getting this art out to folk. Uh, Patreon's a great site, uh, and because you are basically directly sponsoring the creator of the files, you're not you're not paying directly for the models. You're mm. You're sponsoring the the creator with a planable monthly thing. Yeah, I mean Patreon. Patreon is taking a, a considerable cut 
and then for the yeah, yeah and then for the the payout uh paypal is taking a cut and then the tax authorities are taking a cut and <laughs> so in in the end uh with everything uh, a subscriber would pay um at least in the german tax situation maybe maybe half of it ends with the creator so that that that's the situation because you every step from the the subscriber paying the money to the person who created it actually getting a payout every single step and there's like four steps in between is taking a cut and it's always a percentage it's never it's never a fixed sum and and that's i mean if you have these hugely popular patreons they pay thousands of dollars like when, when you have 2000 patreon guys um subscribing to what you do they pay a couple of thousand dollars in patreon fees every month and and i think many people don't realize they they only see okay yeah that 2000 guys oh wow it's 2000 times 10 euros these guys are rich yeah but there's a lot of cost involved <laughs> there is there's a there's a reason i mostly use ko-fi rather than um patreon because at the scale of this podcast you know the few people who want to throw me a few dollars occasionally it's like go for a system that takes less money out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i've been looking into gumroad for for selling the files afterwards because my 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 idea of doing it is that i release the monthly packages and i want the patreon to always be the cheapest way to get the files um and that's a promise I will stand by. Um, and then have a, a little offset. And then after maybe, I don't know, six six weeks, eight weeks or something, I release them at a place where people can actually just buy the kit. And um, because, I mean, also Wargaming is a lot about having it first, right? So <laughs> that's that's like the that's the the reward you get when when you support the stuff i'm doing yeah yeah that drive to be first with a model is a really interesting cultural phenomenon within our community yeah well, it feels great i mean it's it that, does that's another i mean that's and we've all been there right i mean that that's that's a, a huge thing about doing that printing thing for example um i i was I was very like when I promised on my Patreon when I promised okay as soon as we hit a hundred I'm gonna do power pylons because I've seen I just recently have seen that, that one of the black and white Godzilla movies and Godzilla runs into one of the power pylons and it's sparkling and, <laughs> and yeah then it's like recharging itself and uh, at the nuclear power plant and so on I thought like. This would be awesome with Warlord Titans. <laughs> and, oh yeah! And when I set up the Patreon, I was like, "Yeah, 100 followers! Like, come on, man. you can promise." Then <laughs> we we hit we hit the 100 within five days, and I was <laughs> I need to come up with these power pilots. And as we are speaking right now, these 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 things are on print. So, okay. uh, what I'm pr trying to do is. That I test print everything that I that I put mm -hmm. in the Patreon. Um, there has been a couple of issues with the supports I provided in the first package um, because personally I didn't realize that supports have such a big impact on different machines. So mm -hmm. also for me this is a big learning curve. Um, okay. But right now these pylons are printing and sometime tonight or maybe tomorrow morning i'm gonna have these pylons in my hands and that that's the first time these these things actually ever existed and that, that's a great feeling oh yeah so that's um yeah and yeah. again again these these pylons for example so sorry if i if i talk too oh, much yeah. but these pylons say um 
earlier, I, I, I mentioned that having a community that interacts with your designs yeah. and gives you a lot of feedback and so on is super great. And this is why I decided against running a Kickstarter because I wanted to have all these guys being part of the process and giving feedback and, and you know, wishlisting for things and maybe assemble them in ways or combine them in ways that I didn't think of. And for example, I talked to somebody today and showed them the pilot and they were like, wow, these, these, these look interesting. How tall are they? And I was like, yeah, like, 12-ish centimeters and then then he was yeah you could actually run actual wires to power leds in your terrain and i was like, yeah that's that's brilliant that's 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 i i didn't even have this idea with like not in the slightest but still i mean th this is the type of process that you see or for example we for for the patreon i opened the discord server and people now are posting first prints and everything and they are now they are playing around with it like like with lego blocks and and they're like stacking them and rearranging them and so on and and there were so many so many combinations that again i i haven't thought of and and this is very great to see a project like this come to life and and see people having fun with it and you know like playing around and, and mixing and matching and stuff well thank you so much for joining me today it's been good fun um and educational because i understand 3d printing quite a bit more i do need to probably get my own at some point yeah i i just hope that all the guys doing this professionally and listening to your podcast they they don't roll their eyes too much <laughs> because it, because although i know a lot and i've been printing for i don't know like three years now uh i am very far away from being a printing professional so take it with a grain of salt and the big division in the sort of 3d printing world is you've got the people who make the files and the people who print the files and uh, a lot of the printing we're all sort of you've got the come the people who are doing it like I say professionally i several of the guys i know have three going simultaneously but um but the actual designing of the the art the art side of this that's the sort of there's a sort of there's a creative part of 3d printing that is quickly dismissed i think and that's what i kind of wanted to get my teeth into today hmm. well the, the i i know a couple of creators that don't even have a printer so they they just make these and then the first time they 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 see these designs in in the flesh or like in the real world is online when people are posting pictures of their creations and it's also i mean it's, that sounds like magic i mean again think about someone telling you 10 years ago like that this exists and you can print whole tanks in your basement and it is, it's like magic. You can go through and you can, yeah. And I do, the, your stuff is fantastic. I mean, I'm just completely, just spent half the hour, uh, the recording time here, just flicking through your Facebook page, looking at the pictures. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And then, then you've seen the the um, the quick video where, where, it's, where I'm holding a printed part and plastic part together, right? So, yeah. So that that's the idea. Um, uh, so in the future, I will... Uh, I will have a package or several packages um, with the name Olympus Mons. So you can maybe guess what's the theme behind it. And um, But all these parts that I'm doing for the regular houses, they will be, um, they will be compatible to the existing range and to the other, other things I, I did on there. And then you will always have these bridging parts between, um, let's say, the power pylons and building walls. Uh, also, there's a couple of things that, that don't exist yet, like having round corners, for example. It's something that, that is not in the kit. And um, yeah, we need to tackle this one as well. But uh, in the end, 
it's uh yeah it's just trying to make terrain great again yeah yeah and there's a definite need of it because titanicus is a game that really needs some good terrain though i will i'll happily sit down and argue with those people who say fortress walls need to hide a warlord titan uh, i have opinions about that <laughs> yeah but i mean if you if you have you need a fairly large building for this and and that gives you a lot of disadvantage uh, advantages because that warlord only moves with four four inch right so so there's there's always two sides um but i mean the, the whole thing that's how it started and um, because i was a bit i i got these fortress tiles very like i pre-ordered them actually and when i was filling them with buildings from from the plastic range um it started to look boring fairly quickly to be honest and and i mean the kit is great it's but it gets boring because there's actually only two maybe three different types of houses that you can do of course you can push it a bit and and add in some plastic cards and um when you have these 40k the 40k pillars um from from the more recent 40k kits you can put them in you can work a bit with the statues and so on so you can you know like break it up a little uh, but still you hit you hit a dead end at some point um and that that's a bit sad because it's a great system but it there's 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 only so many things you can do um and this is how it started with like building roof toppings and and, and all that yeah and in the future i'm i'm doing uh, uh i have some civilian stuff stuff on the on the list i i have agri domes uh sketches for that irrigation systems uh, different pipe workings um stuff that go underground in interior for the for the um uh, for the, uh, the the buildings um because what what i found very strange actually is it would have been so easy for the plastic kit to, to have every tile have two sides, like an outside side and an inside side. side. So in, on the inside, there could be like, I don't know, curtains or something. And and there's not. I mean, so when you when you build ruined buildings, you, you need to um, add very, very intricate plastic cart work to, to, to make it actually look nice. And yeah, as I said, that's, that's one of the many things I have on the list. Um, nice. I just uh, for just to to be sure if with my current modeling speed and and all the stuff that the patrons put on the wish list, if I would do it at the current pace, I have enough stuff for like two years. Nice. <laughs> so that's that's how bad it is already. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a that sounds like a pretty good problem to have. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, if but you have to plan, right? So you, yeah, my my aim is to have quarterly themes mm-hmm. or quarterly brackets around yeah. the stuff i'm releasing um so first quarter 2021 is all about guns and fortifications and stuff and how to integrate these with mm-hmm. the buildings and then in the next uh quarter i let the patrons uh decide where to move next so yeah if you want to have voting right you, you better sign up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just, just to do some super cheesy and shameless self-promotion here. I see you, and all your tiers aren't limited to number of people or anything. Uh, one tier is limited. Uh, okay. or basically, two, two tiers. Um, so I had um, eighteen very trusty people who trusted me that this will take off, and mm-hmm. eighteen because there's 
18 Space Marine Legions and yeah, stuff. Yeah, okay. Okay. that makes sense. And uh, they are the Legio Progenitor, and they have a lifetime uh, discount on, on their subscription. So that, that's uh. the one thing. And the other thing is um, uh, the, the merchant's license. So I have, I mentioned it in the beginning, I have a couple mm -hmm. of, of people who, who actually uh, print these and, and then sell the prints. And these okay. guys, I limited these to 20 uh, okay. worldwide. Because in the end, if you, if you don't limit this, um, people will just flood the market with with yeah lower and lower prices and then nobody does it. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't really make sense. So um, I wanted to have people being very sure and very confident about mm -hmm. their business model and everything. And, and so far, the experience is great with these guys. So shout out to all the machinators, uh, generalis uh, in, in the tier. Um, and uh, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to work out a way to advertise their services as well. Because as I oh, said, nice. there's, there's a lot of people um, who don't have printers or who don't mm -hmm. have this, this super geek in their gaming group who has a printer. So... So, um, but they still maybe want to have pieces or fortifications or bunkers and so on. So, so it's best to go to these guys. Okay. Well, I do need to, I've got to get off to do some other stuff today, but it's been real great talking. Well, it's, um, the pleasure is all mine. Um, thank yeah. you for having me and, uh, thank great. you for. I just want to thank Rudolph again for coming on the show. It was really good to sit down and talk to him a few weeks ago when we recorded that segment. Um, I just want to reinforce what I said throughout the episode so far. Uh, I really like what Rudolph's putting out. I think it's great for the hobby. Um, do yourself a service. Take a few minutes. Go and look it up. Go look on the show notes. It's really great stuff. I know I'm specifically now looking at getting a 3D printer just to print some of this stuff. Um, I really want a table of some of this grimdark scenery. It's incredible. I think in the future we're going to return to talk about 3D printing more on this podcast, but it's probably going to be a subject we have to return to in a while once uh, some more developments have happened and, you know, culture has changed again. Um, but saying that, even since the time that I recorded this podcast with Rudolph, Things have changed. Um, many of the Facebook groups out there have become a lot more lenient and a lot more welcoming to the discussion of 3D printing. Um, I think a distinction is finally being drawn in the, between 3D printing and IP theft, and we're getting a much better sense in the community about where that line actually sits. I think that's a debate we could have on this podcast and talk about where that line is and where it should sit and what's good for the game as a whole. But that's a conversation I think we need to have another day and um, maybe a bit further down the road when we've had a bit more ideas and guidance from Games Workshop itself, who at the moment bear the burden of really entering the arena. Uh, we're all sort of waiting for them to do something with 3D printing. They're going to have to. They can't just let it lie like it's lying. And one can only hope that it happens before too long. Until Games Workshop actually talk about 3D printing and recognize that we have Manufactorium ourselves in our basements, this whole topic of conversation is going to have a weird aura of the occult and mysterious around it, and maybe something that's slightly wrong. Um, it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed in a way that's not too heavy-handed. 
there needs to be an allowance for people to use their own 3D printed designs at Games Workshop stores, in much the same way you would craft your own green stuff. Um, yeah. And I suspect it will happen. There's going to have to be some form of reckoning. Um, the community is becoming very divided. And it serves no purpose in the long run, especially not Games Workshop, to allow that to continue. Um, they make less money as the community gets divided in that sort of way. So I suspect in a while a realistic management decision will be made. They're usually pretty good about making the right choice when the right choice means they get to make more money. Even if it can take them a little bit of time to get there. Anyway, all that said, next week's show we're going to start talking about how to quickly paint your Titan Legios. I've got a well-renowned hobbyist coming on to talk about the subject, and I'll also do another Legio in brief. If you have a particular Legio you want me to cover in a Legio to brief in the front end of one of these non-deep dive episodes, please email, message me through Instagram or Facebook, and I will add it to the list. With all that said, I will wish you all well, and good fortune. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast.gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune.